Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Bible Thumper podcast. <clears throat> My name is Patrick Hayes, and I am your regular host. And Caleb is not going to be joining us tonight. <clears throat> uh, he said that he just can't, in good conscience, uh, spend an hour speaking badly about Halloween, which is our topic tonight. He says he just loves the holiday so much and loves taking his kids trick-or-treating and loves putting on costumes um, that have to do with celebrating death and demons and the devil and all that. And I said, look, Caleb, I understand. Okay. I'm not going to force you on here. Uh, just, you know, take the week off and uh, next week we'll talk about something that you feel comfortable talking about. <clears throat> So Caleb actually is suffering from uh, a pretty bad cold and uh, he he sounds terrible. He's feeling terrible. And I told him, just take off. Uh, don't worry about it, man. So uh, I am here by myself and we are talking about the topic of Halloween. <laughs> We're talking about the topic of Halloween tonight. So for me, when I came to Christianity, okay, I showed up here in Grand Junction, Colorado, which is where I live with my family right now. It's if you get, if you go to Denver on a map and head west on Interstate 70, the last big city you hit before you reach Utah is Grand Junction. And by big city, it's got like 100,000 people in the county or something like that. So I moved here and this is where I really started going to church. Okay. So I was reading my Bible and I started going to church and I remember my first year going to church and reading the Bible and all these different holidays came up and I was really curious about a lot of them. Now, when Easter came up, I had no idea how the resurrection of Christ had anything to do with bunnies laying eggs. That didn't make any sense to me. And no one could give me a good answer. I didn't understand that one. And then when we got to Christmas, um, I couldn't get a real good answers on a bunch of things that had to do with Christmas. And there, you know, so holidays were coming and especially the ones that were like, you know, seriously attached to <laughs> uh, Jesus and his life in the Bible. Like, I, they didn't make sense to me and I couldn't get any answers. And I usually got strange looks when I would ask questions about uh, holidays like that. But when Halloween came up, I remember my first Halloween after reading the Bible. And I was like, guys, come on. I mean, honestly, who here is for this thing? Like, how on earth can we say, yeah. This is the holiday that the Lord just loves. It didn't make sense to me. I couldn't get it. But, you know, uh, when I'd look around, what I would find is a whole bunch of Christians who were uh, taking place or taking part in Halloween, a whole bunch of Christians that, for whatever reason, uh, liked it, um, and a whole bunch of churches that celebrated it. And I couldn't figure out why it just didn't make sense. But either way, you know, that's that's what I ran into. And that's what I was dealing with. So then I kind of felt silly asking the questions because I kind of felt like, you know, I was all alone in asking these questions. But it didn't make sense to me how not only so many Christians celebrated Halloween. But how many Christians didn't seem to even consider that there might be a problem with it? And along with that, you know, just exactly how many um, uh, churches even, you know, kind of did their own like, you know, Halloween celebration. It just it didn't make any sense to me. I didn't get it. And, you know, that's all there is to it. So tonight I'm going to give you why uh, Patrick Hayes is so vehemently against Halloween. Uh, I didn't think I would ever have to give this, but I do it every year. And if you look at the comments, the very first comment put up is a link to a video that I did last year. Now, 
this video has all the information up there, a whole bunch of slides on it for all of you who have a short um, attention span. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's reasonably well done. It goes over a lot of history and church history and different things. So you can take a look at that and um, hopefully that will help you if you're looking for any of the information that I'm talking about while I'm going over that or while I'm going over this, you can find it if you just follow that link. That link takes you to a Facebook page of mine, which is called uh, Bible Study on the Farm. It's a, uh, it's a page with Bible studies that I used to do regularly, um, I don't know, so many years ago. Okay, so with that, <clears throat> let's take a look. Okay, so we have this pagan festival that you would think would cause some difficulty and discomfort in the lives of uh, Christians. But as with most things that oppose the Bible, it is easy to shrug it off as a cute and harmless activity that God probably doesn't care much about. So <clears throat> a lot of Christians wonder how you're supposed to deal with Halloween, uh, especially those of us with small children. A lot of you know that I have six children. They range in age from 13 down to five. So we're going to take a look at some of the history of the festival and hopefully help you answer the question, what does the Christian do with Halloween? So let's jump in here and see what we can get. And by all means, please challenge all my crazy, wacky beliefs. I'd love to get into it with anyone that's watching. And if you're following us on uh, Spotify or Google Play, as far as a podcast, you can join us on Sunday nights on our Facebook page, which I think you can just search and find with the uh, handle. That's a uh, hashtag Bible Thumper 1611. You can find us on Facebook and you can watch the videos live. And <clears throat> if you are watching us live, please be sure to download uh, watch and share our podcast, which show up uh, between a day and several weeks after we do the live video. So something you should know about high, uh, Halloween is it's, it's highly commercialized. Americans spend uh, over $20 million on Halloween candy alone. Between decorating houses, buying candy, putting costumes on kids and dogs, um, America spent over $9 billion on the Halloween industry. So what that means to us is it's not going anywhere. It's here to stay. So we got to figure out what we're doing with it as a Christian. So number one, I want to teach you everything I can about the pagan festival of Halloween, where it came from how it came about. And then I want to try to answer the one question, which is how should a Christian deal with Halloween? So <clears throat> let's define pagan. Okay. A pagan is somebody that worships false gods. Anyone that does not worship the God of the Bible, that is a pagan. A lot of people don't like that definition, but that's the deal. If you're not worshiping the God of the Bible, you're worshiping something else. It could be a false God. It could be yourself. It could be money, a million things. It could be, it could be nature. A lot of people are doing that nowadays, but if you're not worshiping the God of the Bible then you're a pagan, many Christians today view most things in the occult as harmless, powerless, and children's games and superstitions uh, that have to do with this stuff is uh, usually dismissed as irrelevant. Nothing we need to, you know, worry about. Uh, Caleb is commenting here and reminding everybody that he is actually very much against Halloween. Um, and if Caleb wasn't uh, such a, um, a liberal, soft uh, Christian, he wouldn't have to remind you of that because you'd already know that. Uh, but because of his liberal stances on so many other things, um, he has to remind us that he is against Halloween. And I'm really giving Caleb too hard of a time. Um, Caleb is one of my best friends because of the stances that he takes in life for the Bible. And I very much respect him for that. And since he's not here to defend himself, uh, I should probably lay off, even though he's going to continue giving us comments every so often, uh, just reminding how much reminding us how much better this podcast would be if he was present. 
Okay, so <clears throat> when you look at things like a Ouija board, you find out that that is advertised as a child's toy. Uh, you actually find out that the Parker Brothers state on the box that the Ouija board comes in that it is intended for eight-year-olds. Now, this is a very different view than the one held by God. If we were to go back in time to when Moses took the Israeli slaves out of Egypt over to the Jordan River to cross over into Canaan land, or you move ahead to when King David and King Solomon ruled over Israel and the temple was built, or you go all the way up till the time of Christ when Israel was under the rule of the Greeks and then the Romans, you got to ask the question, what would happen to you if you tried to get your friends together to use a Ouija board and communicate with the dead? Uh, that is called necromancy, and it was a capital crime. If you were to experiment with witchcraft and the taking part in a seance, again, what was the punishment? The punishment was death. So that's the standard that God has. The standard is up here. It's a very strong one. It's a very serious one. And then we have Ouija boards sold in Walmart and Target on the shelves aimed at eight-year-olds. And we're trying to help eight-year-olds. And, and keep in mind, I mean, you read the instructions on a Ouija board. It explains to you how to get a group of friends together and talk to the dead. It is, <laughs> it, it, it blows me away that, you know, God's standard is here. And America's standard is, it's so low, we can't even see it anymore. It, it's frightening to me, really, that Christians do not see a problem with it. Wizardry and witchcraft, communicating with the dead, talking to spirits or demons, and practicing the occult in any way at all was punishable by death. So in Exodus 22, 18, we read, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. In Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 through 12, we read, there shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch. In verse 11, <clears throat> or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer, that's communicating with the dead, verse 12, for all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. Now, the question we got to ask is, well, why is this? Well, God set these rules in place to keep his children from tampering with something that was dangerous. <clears throat> we also have to remember that this is the same God that we serve today. Far too many Christians have the idea that today Jesus is this fun, laid-back, easygoing God who just loves you and is okay with everything. And the Old Testament God is this old, mean, angry, vengeful God who's a stick in the mud and is against everything. The problem is they are two parts of the same God. That's Jesus is the Old Testament God. The Old Testament God on Mount Sinai is Jesus. We are not polytheistic. We don't believe in multiple gods. There, there's not two different gods that are battling this out with two different ideas. Uh, I and the Father am one. They are one. It is one God that we believe in. <clears throat> So we have to get this idea out of our head. There is only one God and he never changes. So the God who hates paganism in, and witchcraft is the God we pray to every day. He is the God we worship when we go to church and the one we learn about when we read our Bible. So let's look at paganism, druids, witchcraft, and the occult. <clears throat> it is there where we will find the origins of Halloween. So I'm going to open up another file here, and when I do this, I'm going to hope that my computer just doesn't kind of crash and fall apart, so uh, we'll see how this goes. Okay, forgive me. i got to move this over here to this place. Okay, this is going to take a second. All right, so we're going to start in ancient Britain and Ireland. October 31st was the end of summer, just as it is now for us. And what we find is that November 1st was the new year, 
Now, I know it's not the new year for us, but understand that it was the new year. <laughs> it was the new year in both Celtic and Anglo-Saxon calendars. And the reason for this is the harvest was over. The winter was coming. Okay, so let's see where we are. Okay, here we go. We're going to see how this goes. So uh, the cattle came in from pasture and land tenures were renewed. Uh, it was an important time of the year. Uh, this is when, you know, the harvest was, uh, the, the, um, the, the, all the crops were finished with their produce and the harvest was taken in. Uh, the Celts were people who came from Asia to settle in Europe and they settled in Northern France, Northern France and the British Isles. Uh, they were into the cult and they were into worshiping nature. So the Druids were a uh, priestly class of the Celtic religion, similar to Hinduism in many ways. They believed in reincarnation, uh, that you'd come back as either a person or an animal. Uh, they believed uh, in the transmigration of the soul, that a human soul can pass to another human or an animal. They believed they descended from the god Dis, who was the Roman name for the god of the dead. And one of the problems with the Druids is that they didn't have written records. So much of what we know comes from the interactions of the Romans with them. And we do have some records and we're going to read through them as we go through the night. So human sacrifice was common uh, or a common practice of the Druids. And you find that human sacrifice was also a common practice of the uh, Philistines and the Canaanites and the Moabites. And I mean, all <laughs> really all the bad guys and the enemies of God's uh, chosen people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, all of their enemies practice uh, human sacrifice and child sacrifice. So the, these guys were really no different. As a matter of fact, what you find out is that you only have two religions in the world, okay? You have the religion of the, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is what Christians uh, uh, believe in, and that is who they worship, and, and the Jews worship that God. And then you have every other religion in the world, and they all worship the devil. Now, they might not understand that or call him the devil, but believe me, all false religions come from uh, the pagan center of it all, which is uh, Babylon. And we're going all the way back to Genesis chapters 9 and 10 with Nimrod. And that's another whole story, and we're not going to get into too much of that history tonight. All right, so with that being said... Uh, according to the Roman historian Tacitus, the Druids would cover the altars with the blood of their victims, often criminals, if they were available. Uh, back in uh, 58 uh, to 50 uh, BC, remember when we're in BC, we're talking, we count down because we're counting down to zero. Uh, technically, there was no year zero, but we're counting down to one before Christ was born, and we switch over to A.D. and start counting up. Uh, Julius Caesar said human sacrifice was a common and frequent element. Uh, during his eight-year campaign against the Celtic people, he wrote a book called The Commentaries on the Gaelic War. You can look that up. It's not hard to find. It's translated into English. It was a first-hand account by Julius Caesar of the Gaelic Wars. The Druids would use the deaths of their victims to predict the future. Based on the contortions of the dying victims, they would take it to mean different things. Additionally, the position the body took when it fell to the ground and the manner in which the blood flowed out of the dead body were all used as signs of the future during divination. Uh, so there's actually a name for that. And one of my buddies told me after he heard me teach this, I don't remember what the, the name for that is, but it's a certain type of, um, of uh, futuristic prophecy that you would, you would use the corpses of those that you slayed in ritualistic sacrifice to determine uh, the future. So uh, no tarot cards for these guys. They were serious. So uh, they would uh, sacrifice their victims in large cages. They would burn people alive. Uh, the larger the number of victims, the larger the yield of the crops for the next year. Uh, okay, so now we move on to witches. That's always, they're always a barrel of laughs, right? Witches. 
So witches have eight major festivals uh, in the year. So they have um, uh, four are the solar festivals, uh, one at each equinox. So the equinox is the time of the year where the sun crosses the equator and the length of the day and the length of the night are equal. That happens twice a year. Then there's one at each solstice. That's the time of the year when the day is the shortest and then the time of the year when the night is the shortest. So there are two solstices as well. The other four occur almost midpoint between the solar festivals. Now I don't have a slide to put up here, but if you click on, click on the link of the video that I put up, you'll see all these slides with all of this information and actually quite a bit more because I only have so much time to yammer on uh, through the audio. So the dates for the fall, um, sorry, the dates for the other festivals fall on February 2nd, March 22nd, which is a spring equinox, May 1st, June 22nd, which is a summer solstice, July 31st, September 22nd, which is a fall equinox, October 31st, which is what we're talking about tonight, and then December 22nd. Huh, that sounds awfully close to another holiday. Now we're going to get to that in a couple months. So the most famous of these are Samhain, which is on October 31st. That's the one we're talking about uh, tonight, which is Halloween to non-witches. And Beltane, uh, which is the one that happens on uh, May 1st. So Halloween is the beginning of the Celtic New Year. We said that already. Samhain literally means summer's end. It is always at the end of the growing season. Thus, it became the festival of death. So Satanists and witches, they claim it is the day that they can most effectively communicate with the dead. They say that the astral plane is the thinnest on that day, and it is the easiest for demons and evil spirits to cross over into our world. Those who practice divination and necromancy found that they had the most success communicating with the dead on October 31st. Halloween is the night that Satanists and occultists look forward to all around the world. They use it to bring honor to Satan and pray to him intensely for the destruction of Christianity. The name Halloween, uh, in an attempt to oppose paganism, the Catholic Church in Europe set up November 1st as All Saints Day. All Souls Day was invented sometime in the 7th century by Pope Boniface IV. It was to commemorate the saints and martyrs, and it was marked by many prayers being offered up for the souls of the dead. And now as Christians, we know that praying for the dead doesn't do anything. They're already dead. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Uh, but either way, we'll just let the Catholics do what they want. They can pray for the dead. The Mormons can baptize those that are already dead. Everyone can have their own little thing that they do for the dead. Jesus said, go ahead and bury the dead. That's it. So in the 8th century, Pope Gregory III moved it to November 1st. It was originally on May 13th, and it was moved to November 1st in order to coincide with Samhain. So you have All Hallows Day. Hallow meaning saint. The word hallows means saints. So All Hallows Day was used to give title to All Hallows Eve, later changed to Halloween. So that's where Halloween came from. November 2nd was designated All Souls Day, which became a special day to pray for the dead. In the late 1800s, it was customary to gather at midnight on Halloween and pray for the souls of the departed friends. Uh, again, this is, you know, Catholic legend. Um, the Christians were far too busy being hunted down and murdered uh, by the Catholics and other groups. <laughs> so uh, they didn't take part in a lot of this. Uh, on November 2nd in Belgium, people ate special all-soul cakes because supposedly the more cakes you ate this night, uh, the more souls you could save from purgatory. Uh, now that's finally 
a celebration I can get behind. Um, eating yourself uh, silly until you're completely stuffed and you can't move. And that's somehow good for um, for someone else. That's that's an amazing holiday. That sounds like it should have been invented by Americans. In Sicily, cakes with the uh, images of skulls and skeletons were eaten. In France, these cakes were taken to cemeteries as a powerful antidote against the flames of purgatory. The next day at evening, candles were lit and set up in the grave sites and in the windows of houses to help guide the spirits back home. In England, the Halloween festival became known as All Hallows' Eve because of its ties to the Catholic belief in purgatory, the celebration was banned during the Reformation, during the rise of the Church of England. The festival was revived later on. All right, let's get back into Druids and talk about uh, a little bit more about Halloween. That's enough on where the name came from. I know that's not that exciting. Okay, as we mentioned before, uh, the Celtics, or sorry, the Celts maintained no written histories. We know the Druids who were called the Men of the Oaks, were uh, pagan satanic priests of an early Celtic religion. The word uh, Druid means priest of the oak cult. The Druids were a barbaric order dreaded for their power and bloodthirstiness. They appear as lawgivers and as being directly concerned with animal and human sacrifices. In 1897, some bronze tablets were unearthed near the town of, I believe it's called Coligny, France. If that's not how it's pronounced, my apologies uh, to the French. Um, <clears throat> these were written uh, in the Celtic Gaulish language and contained a detailed calendar of the Celtic year, or more accurately, a segment of five consecutive years. The Druids believed that on October 31st, spirits would rise out of their graves and wander the countryside, trying to return to the homes they were formerly, uh, they formerly lived in. The Druids believed that on October 31st, spirits would rise out of their graves and wander the countryside, trying to return to the homes where they formerly lived. I already said that. Uh, the problem was if souls of the dead loved ones could return that night, well, so could anything else, human or non-human nice or evil. So the evil spirits were greatly feared and needed to be appeased. And this leads us to the celebration of Halloween. So the God of the dead was called Samhain. This pagan God was shown as a ghostly skeleton holding a sickle in his hand. He later became known as the Grim Reaper. I'm sure you all saw that one coming. Sam Hain would gather the souls of the evil dead that were condemned to enter the bodies of animals. He would then decide what animal form they would take for the next year. The souls of the good dead were reincarnated as humans. So people who died during the year, their souls were supposed to be able to come back to their former places of habitation and visit with their families. The problem was that the evil spirits could come back at the same time. So large bonfires were set up along the countryside to frighten away evil spirits. Okay, so the practice of Halloween. The Druids in Ireland would go through the neighborhoods and countryside on the eve of October 31st to collect offerings for Satan, the pagan god of death, Samhain. The start of the evening took place when they killed a slave, and they would drag his body around through the town, they'd tie a rope to one of his legs and just drag him around. They would carry lanterns, bags for money, canes uh, that had, you know, sharp pointy ends on them. And at each house, they would demand a specific amount, sometimes money or food. And other times they would take uh, a slave uh, who was a female or another female from the house. If the household would not or could not give the offering, which was called a penance or a treat, the Druids would use their canes. They would oftentimes castrate uh, one of the prized animals in the house, and sometimes even uh, a male human from the house. They would also curse the house uh, and draw a pentagram on the door with the blood of the slave. The pentagram was to let the evil spirits know to curse the house and kill someone by scaring them to death that night. The people in the villages in Scotland and Ireland where the Druids reigned uh, took this night very seriously. They did not like it. If a home or a village were able to give uh, what the Druids demanded when they would uh, they would leave a large turnip hollowed out with the face of a demon carved into it. They would place a candle made from human fat inside the turnip. That's where the jack-o'-lanterns come from. Okay. 
uh, the sacrifices were burned on an altar set up somewhere in a wooded area in a druidic stone circle, uh, much like Stonehenge. The term bonfire comes from the two words bone and fire. These great fires used to incinerate the bones of the sacrificed were called bone fires, which was later shortened to bonfire. Uh, they would go from house to house singing and dancing. They'd be dressed up in costumes, wearing grotesque masks, often made from the heads and faces of sacrificed animals and people. They would also paint their faces with the ash from the bonfires. Uh, these uh, scary costumes were meant to scare off any evil spirits who were there to torment or kill them. If it was believed that if a demon or such were to encounter uh, something as fiendish looking as themselves, that they'd run away in terror. So I'm sure we can all imagine how grotesque the masks would be. Okay. Physical evidence. Archaeologists have long been puzzled by a strange phenomenon called vitrified forts. These consist of a stone outer wall, which has been subjected to exceptionally high temperatures, maybe in excess of a thousand degrees centigrade. So high is the heat that it caused the stones to partially melt and run into each other, giving the whole a glassy appearance. These are found in England, Scotland, and Ireland. Those that have been excavated have oftentimes thrown up quantities of human body parts that have been immolated or burned, however, uh, not cremated and deposited into an urn as uh, custom would have it. So uh, within three miles of one of these sites, there were over 350 uh, funeral mounds that contained the remnants of countless human sacrifices. All right, uh, let's see, do I wanna get into that? Nah. All right, celebrating Halloween today. Okay, this is pretty neat. And uh, let's see where this goes. So our pilgrim forefathers knew of Halloween's occultic roots. In fact, they banned celebrating Halloween in America. It wasn't taught or spoken of for 200 years after the pilgrims uh, founded uh, this country and, and set up the colonies. So Halloween was not celebrated in this country until 1845. Now, the big question, if you want to earn two gold stars this evening, answer this question. What happened in America in 1845? I'm not going to play the Jeopardy theme song. I'm assuming everyone's thinking about it. At that time, multiplied thousands of Irish immigrants flooded into New York because of the Irish potato famine. And they brought with them the old Druid holiday of Halloween. Today, Ireland is the only country in the world where Halloween is a national holiday. There are many great tragedies that come with celebrating Halloween today. Halloween does not have one single redeeming virtue. It is a custom born out of pagan superstition, and it is a demon-inspired, devil-glorifying occult festival. It creates a tongue-in-cheek attitude uh, that the forces of evil are not to be taken seriously. Uh, they are merely plastic masks and nothing more. Uh, we run the risk of communicating the message that the spiritual battle waged by the rulers of darkness mentioned by Paul in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10, is not to be taken seriously. Taking part in this pagan festival gives the false impression that what is actually very dangerous is innocuous. Some children develop a fascination with the supernatural, which leads them later into more sinister occult practices. Now, I'm not saying that if you let your kids celebrate Halloween, they're going to wind up in the occult. I celebrated Halloween my entire life. I was not raised in a Christian home where we read the Bible and prayed every day or, you know, anything like that. First time I touched a Bible, I was 21 years old. But I, what I will tell you is this. When I first touched a Bible, okay, I started reading the thing. I read it cover to cover. Um, I started going to church. I learned about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross of Calvary and how he raised from the dead three days later and triumphed over death. And my sins were forgiven when I received that gift. I got saved. And when that happened, I started to conform my life to the image and likeness of Christ. And that's what I have been working on 
for uh, the last 15 years. And when I found something that clearly the Lord was against, I said, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. So when I showed up on the scene as a Christian in church and I saw what was going on with Halloween, I said, I'm not doing that. Now, was I alone? Sure was. Okay, the churches were celebrating it. Uh, the different Christians I knew were celebrating it. The pastor was celebrating it. But that's fine. You're not going to stand before your church or your Christian friends or your pastor. You're going to stand before the good Lord Jesus, and you're going to have to explain to him why you celebrate Halloween. And if you think you can find a good reason for that, great. Look it up in the Bible and show me. Okay, I cannot find it. What I find is that we are supposed to flee from the unfruitful works of darkness. We're supposed to have nothing to do with them. So this message is really, it's not for the Christian that doesn't care. It's not for the Christian that just wants to shrug things off and, and find an easy way out. This podcast is for the Christian that wants to take their life serious and they want to make changes in their life for the Lord. If you come to this podcast and you don't want to make changes for God, if you don't want to change your life to be more like God, you're going to find a lot of the things that are said on this podcast as difficult to swallow, over the top, too rigid. I've heard the term legalistic used so many times that it makes me want to throw up uh, because nobody even knows what that term means. They just throw it around as an excuse to not have to obey the clear commands written down in the Bible. So <clears throat> just remember, as I go through all of this information, uh, you're going to use it. You're not going to use it. You're going to write it off and shrug it off, or it's going to affect you. And you're going to say, you know what? I'm not comfortable with this. I have trouble believing the Lord Jesus uh, would be in favor of Halloween. Maybe I need to look into it a little deeper. I would suggest doing that. Okay. So <clears throat> for the remainder of the evening, we're going to look at what the Bible says. So this is where you're going to want to just uh, turn this off because this is where conviction is going to come. It's not going to come from me. It's going to come from the word of God. And the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it is going to be able to pierce your soul and bring conviction to your heart. So hopefully the Holy Spirit will deliver that and we'll see some changed lives at the end of this. So I expect that this will be the section that upsets the most people. Okay, everything I've read so far, look it up and tell me I'm wrong. That's a challenge. Give it a shot. You will be, it will be difficult to find any other history about Halloween written anywhere. But this part is what's going to upset the most people. If Christians are going to get offended, it will be in the next 20 minutes. So hold on to your socks. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. There is no area of our lives that should have any fellowship with paganism. You say, oh, well, Halloween isn't what it's talking about. Halloween isn't an unfruitful work of darkness. Okay, then what is? If Halloween isn't an unfruitful work of darkness, tell me what is. Make a list. Give me an idea of what these unfruitful works of darkness are that we should have no fellowship with. 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Did you know that obeying the Bible is the bare minimum we are called to do? Most Christians have never even thought of that. They've never even considered that concept. The commands written down in the Bible are the bare minimum we are called to do. Here in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, God says that there are things that are not evil. They are not evil. They only appear to be evil. And you are to stay away from those as well. Now, this is the neat one. Who decides whether they are evil or not? Okay. Well, you do. The Bible doesn't give a specific. It says, if it appears to be evil, well, I don't think that appears to be evil. All right, well, then don't worry about it. I see something, I say, man, that appears to be evil. All right, well, then you should stay away from it. You don't need the Bible to explicitly forbid it. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says. So I'll often hear people ask the question, can a Christian dance? Can a Christian drink alcohol? 
See, the, they're asking the wrong question. The question we need to ask is, should a Christian do this or that? Not, what can I get away with as a Christian? Okay, what should I do? A child tries to obey the bare minimum and get away with whatever they can. That is the most immature attitude one can have when approaching an authority and what they set forth as rules that require obedience. Unfortunately, it is a level that most people never grow beyond. Most Christians never grow beyond the bare minimum standard. Most Christians never ask the question, should I do this or that? They just say, can I? Can I? Can I? Is it okay if I do this? Second Kings chapter 17, verse 15. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. God tells us that we are not to do like the heathen. Now, it goes without saying that we're not supposed to do the things that the heathen do. We are not even supposed to do the things that resemble what they do. Read 2 Kings 17, 15. Tell me it says something else. That means there is no way to Christianize a wicked pagan practice. We cannot try to bring Christ into it and somehow glorify Christ through something that the devil founded. You cannot Christianize whiskey. You just can't do it. Just as there can be no Christian whiskey or, or a Christian brothel, there can be no Christian Halloween. It is impossible. So I want to outline this idea briefly with a very simple diagram that unfortunately I can't put up on the screen, so I'm going to try to pantomime this. Imagine we have three columns, okay? Column one, column two, and column three. Now, <clears throat> All the way on one side, we have column number one, and in it, we find things that are acceptable to God. All right? So all the way over here, column one, all these things are acceptable to God. Okay? Big, long list of stuff, and God finds them acceptable. Great. God gives us parameters, and he outlines the process and procedure, and he gives us stipulations. We can't just do it however we want. We need to do it exactly how God wants it done. And I'll give you some Bible verses to go along with this in a minute. Then you have, all the way on the other side, you have column number two. And in column number two, we have things that are unacceptable to God. We have paganism. We have idolatry and disobedience and worldliness. And in general, anything created by the devil. All right? Now, what do you think we find here in the center column? The center column is the merging of the two. You have what's acceptable to God, what's unacceptable to God, and then you try to mix those two together and make up the center column. Now, the question you must ask yourself is who finds that acceptable? I want to briefly go over the history of Christianity and explain the time when Christianity was merged with paganism. And I think it is terrible that this idea has not been taught in every Christian church in America. Okay, this will be in no way exhaustive. Uh, and one day I'm sure I'll put something together and, you know, do a series on paganism and Christianity. But tonight I just want to catch everyone up to speed and I have about 15 minutes to do it. So we start in the Roman Empire about 27 BC. And there we go. In the city of Pergamos, the first temple was erected for emperor worship. 
Now you actually find Pergamus written about in the book of Revelation. Okay, you'll we're, we can get to that later. After Julius Caesar came Augustus. He was the emperor when Christ was born. He started the Roman religion that worshipped the emperors, that considered the emperors to be God. After Christ was crucified, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, the Christians faced horrific persecution by the Roman government. Emperor Nero set fire to Rome and blamed the Christians. He was the one who executed Paul. Nero was the beginning of what we call the 10 waves of persecution. Now, understand the 10 waves of persecution were 10 different Roman emperors, but they, they were not consecutive. So that in between some of these Roman emperors, there, the, the Christians uh, had a short time of reprieve where they weren't hunted down or at least not so viciously. In 70 AD, Titus, who was a general under Emperor Vespasian, marched into Jerusalem with three Roman legions. They laid siege to Jerusalem and ultimately destroyed the city and the temple, just as the good Lord Jesus said they would in Matthew chapter 24. During that time, they massacred, I believe it was 1.5 million Jews. The Jews have not had a temple since that time. Now, under Emperor Trajan, Christianity was illegal by punishment of banishment. Under Marcus Aurelius, there was the most severe persecution since the time of Nero. Under Marcus Aurelius, if you turned in a Christian, you got that Christian's land. Everybody was trying to root out who of their neighbors was a Christian so they could turn them in and get their land. Emperor Decius required public sacrifice to pagan gods throughout Rome. Valerian required the clergy to publicly sacrifice to pagan gods. Under Diocletian, the order was given to burn every Christian book and level every church throughout Rome. Uh, Christians in every town were seized, severely tortured, and then burned alive. This was often carried out by the local pagans. Officers of the state were not required to carry out the executions. So no sympathy was granted for age or gender. Uh, children, women, the elderly didn't matter. If they are a Christian, burn them alive. Then what happened after all this time and all this terrible persecution comes the year 313 AD. Under Emperor Constantine, the persecutions stopped. All edicts of Diocletian were repealed. Christianity was legal again. And for the longest period of time since Christ, Christians were free from persecution. They came out from hiding and were allowed to worship their God. And after all those years, I would imagine that had to feel pretty good. Then the single worst event in the history of the church happened. Emperor Theodosius made Christianity mandatory. It became the state religion of Rome, and this was the worst thing that ever happened to Christianity. The church was filled with unregenerate pagans. Every pagan idol worshiper in the Roman Empire was now forced to convert to Christianity. So I ask you, did every pagan lay down their idols and just say, okay, I'll be a Christian now? Obviously not. Paganism was Christianized. The two merged together, and to make the transition easier, pagan festivals were converted into Christian ones. The state-run Christian church combined column number one and column number two to form a pagan version of Christianity. Pagan temples became Christian churches. Pagan priests slipped into the positions of the Christian churches. And what the persecution of the church could not accomplish in over 250 years, the marriage of the Christian church to the world did accomplish instantly. The true believers, they went underground again to worship the true God in secret. They were hunted and killed for another thousand years. This started because they would not join 
uh, Roman, the Roman pagan version of Christianity. From this single event, Christianity worldwide has been suffering because of this union. Today, we are still fighting this marriage to paganism. Now, I kind of want to give you, yeah, let's go to another Bible story and we'll finish this up and then we'll look at questions and comments and, and, uh, and tackle some of those. Let's look at a story in the Bible uh, that is one of my favorites, and it starts off with the staff of Asclepius. In Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9, the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness with Moses for 40 years. The people complained about God and Moses. God sent fiery serpents among the people. And when you read the story, it sounds like everyone was bit and a bunch of people died. They were venomous serpents, and what it seemed to suggest is that everyone was going to die. So God told Moses what to do. Moses made a serpent out of brass and put it on a pole. And God said, hold that up in the midst of the camp and whoever looks upon the serpent will live. And the people looked on the serpent and they were saved. Now that's a strange story and it is not explained anywhere in the Old Testament. It is explained in the two verses preceding the most popular verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16. Jesus says, just like the serpent was lifted up, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. It was a foreshadowing of the crucifixion. So <clears throat> it gives a great picture of how one gets saved. Now, back to Numbers 21. All the Jews had to do was look on the serpent and believe it would save them. That's it. It was simple, and it was a picture of the simplicity of salvation in Christ. In the same way, that is exactly what it takes to save your soul. Now, here is what relates to us tonight. In 2 Kings chapter 18, <clears throat> hundreds and hundreds of years in the future, we read about King Hezekiah. He was one of only a couple of good kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. King Hezekiah turned the nation of Israel from an idol-worshiping pagan nation back to a people who worshiped the God of Abraham. We read, he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. The people kept the bronze serpent that Moses made in the wilderness, and they worshipped it. God commanded Moses to make that brazen serpent and hold it up in the midst of the children of Israel. And then instead of worshipping the God of Israel, they took the implement and worshipped it. So if an object God commanded to be made can later become a pagan idol that needs to be destroyed, then how on earth does anyone think they can take a pagan festival, pagan idols, and pagan practices and somehow clean them up and make them acceptable to God? It defies all logic. You, you will never find a principle in the Bible that supports that idea. When it's pagan, it's pagan. Get rid of it. Stay away from it. Have nothing to do with it. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Now here, I really love this verse because God makes two comparisons. You have righteousness and you have unrighteousness. You have light and you have darkness. There is no middle ground for either of those. Darkness is the complete absence of light. If there's any light there, it's no longer darkness. And there is no righteousness in sin. It doesn't exist. There is no way to merge them. 
And Paul tells us this. It's explained to us by God in the New Testament here in, in the verses I just read in 2 Corinthians 6.14. You cannot have them together. You either have light or you have darkness. You either have righteousness or you have unrighteousness. That's all I've got. I rest my case. If after all that, you still think mixing Christianity and paganism is acceptable to God in some way, then I wish you good luck. So the last thing I'll tell you is what does the Christian do about Halloween? Okay, isn't this what we all want to know? What are we supposed to do with Halloween? Well, the short answer is it's up to you. With that being said, understand that the choices you make carry with them a blessing or a curse. If you don't believe that, uh, Deuteronomy, I want to say uh, chapter 30, but I might be wrong on that. It says that God has set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Yeah, you get one or the other. When making your choices about Halloween, keep two principles in mind. Okay, number one. If you are doing what the world is doing, then it's a pretty safe bet you are going in the wrong direction. Remember, who is okay with the mixing of column A and column B? It's not the Lord. The God of popular culture, that is not the real God. We serve the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not the God of peer pressure from the people in your church and your neighbors and your family. You have to make decisions based on the word of God. Okay, number two, I'm going to tell you, do not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Now, what do I mean by that? Is there anything wrong with kids dressing up in costumes? Of course not. There's nothing wrong with kids dressing up in costumes. Now, I'm sure we could find some inappropriate costumes, but hopefully we all understand what I'm talking about here. Is there anything wrong with kids eating candy or playing games while dressed up uh, eating candy? No, I can't find problems with any of those. So there is no way, there's no reason to go out of your way to be against something that God finds acceptable. The way we do it is there is only one day a year that my kids are not allowed to get dressed up in costumes and play make-believe. Guess what day that is? They can dress up in costumes and play 364 days of the year, but I do not let them get dressed up in costumes on Halloween. We ignore the holiday. We don't go out. We don't do anything. We don't try to substitute it. We don't go to the Christian harvest party and try to dress it up, uh, you know, and, and pretend that Halloween is a good, safe thing because it's in a church. We just ignore it. We skip the day. Uh, my kids are not missing anything. My kids know they're loved by God and by their parents and by their family. And we have a great time all the time. Uh, so we don't have to try to make up for it in, in any way. Uh, you get to choose what you want to do, um, and, and I understand that. I hope I gave you something to think about and uh, some Bible verses to look into. Okay, let's see. Let's go to the top and see if we have any questions or comments that need answers. Mostly, I see Caleb telling everybody what a terrible guy I am for lying about him and that he's not sick and he supports Halloween. And I don't see a single question on there. So we're at 59 minutes and 30 seconds, and I'm going to say thank you, everyone, for signing on. Please uh, listen to the podcast and share it around. I know it was a lot of information, and based on our numbers of viewers tonight, it bored everyone to death because everyone got off and went and did something more interesting than listen to a guy rant and rave about how much God hates Halloween. Uh, with that, <clears throat> I wish you all a good week. And we will be uh, back next week to 
I don't know. We're talking about something. I don't have a clue what it is. So I appreciate all of our listeners. And if you have a suggestion for uh, something that you would like to hear us talk about in the future, please be sure to get on our page or send Caleb or myself uh, an email or a message directly. Um, have a good night.